Listen, I get it. You like saving in Bitcoin. But check this out. You can actually complement your HODL position by investing in Bitcoin startups. If you want additional upside and enjoy learning about angel investing, you should check out Lightning Ventures. Lightning Ventures is a great way to stack real equity in Bitcoin-only companies. They've invested in businesses you've heard about on this show, including Azteco, CrowdHealth, and Swan Bitcoin. And Lightning Ventures makes it easy to get started in the world of early stage investing. The minimum investment is only $1,000 per deal, and you only invest in the deals that make sense to you. So if you want to get a behind the scenes look at the startups you know and love, if you want a chance to support their growth, and if you want another opportunity to profit as the Bitcoin ecosystem develops, check out the 60 second application in the show notes to get started today in building a world that runs on better money. What I've noticed actually with the financial advisors, because they're not really that into Austrian economics, is really more the staying power of Bitcoin. If we're approaching long-term investing as something like, okay, what what sticks, what works, what has the most evidence behind it for clients, and that way we can put clients in proper portfolios, right? If Bitcoin has staying power, which it has had over the last 15 years, if every time it, that it goes up, you know, astronomically, when it comes back down, it doesn't go to zero, I think that that's pulled a lot of advisors in because they see, hey, this... This is not going away. Like, this has some staying power here. What's here? What's the evidence behind this? And so that I've seen work for sure for financial advisors. We're constantly looking at asset classes and deciding whether or not that's something that's appropriate for a client's portfolio. Welcome to the Business Bitcoinization Show, the show dedicated to helping you enrich your life and grow your business with Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth. I'm your host, Josh Friedemann, and our guest today is Morgan Richard, who's the owner and lead financial planner of her fee-only registered investment advisory firm, Origin Wealth Advisors, LLC. She's also a financial consultant at her firm, Money Owners, LLC, author of the Personal Finance Quick Start Guide, and co-host of the Bitcoin for Advisors podcast. Morgan has been advising and educating clients about Bitcoin since 2016. Today, we talk about Bitcoin and some things you might want to consider when thinking about how it fits into your long-term wealth plan. Of course, before we get to the interview, we do have this week's Bitcoin Meetup Spotlight, and this week, it's the Bakersfield Bitcoin Meetup. The Bakersfield Bitcoin Meetup is a friendly, bi-weekly gathering at Lengthwise Brewing Company in Bakersfield, California. The brewery accepts Bitcoin, which allows members to learn how to use Bitcoin to purchase goods and services. The co-hosts Gabe and Jesse are knowledgeable and willing to help answer any questions. Jesse's company, Well Rehabilitation Services, sponsors the meetup by providing everything from appetizers, hats, and books to cold storage devices and anything he can buy with Bitcoin. Join them for great conversation about Bitcoin and the freedom it brings. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram under Bako Bitcoin. That link is down in the show notes below. And if you want to find a Bitcoin meetup near you, I encourage you to download the Oshi app where you can do just that. Now, we're going to get to our interview with Morgan right after this. Business owners, unlock the benefits Bitcoin has to offer your business with the Bitcoin for Business Quick Start Guide. This 27-page guide highlights the six ways you can grow your business with Bitcoin. Check it out in the show notes. Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you a little bit better and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? Sure. Sounds good. When and how did you first learn about Bitcoin? So it's been a while. Um, I've learned about Bitcoin 
I want to say it was 20, either 2011 or 2012. Um, and it was on the Mises.org website. There was a blog post about it going from $1 to $2. Um, and I forget who wrote it, but I read through the blog post and I thought, okay, well, that's really interesting. Like I've always been interested in Austrian economics and I thought, um, it's an alternative to gold and it would be something I would be interested in, you know, just buying a few of them. I didn't think like, you know, if it was $2, you know, if I bought 20 bucks worth, whatever. Um, except that I couldn't figure out where to buy it. Um, so there was like where you can go find somebody like a local Bitcoins at the time was a thing where you can go and actually find a person. But like being a young woman in my twenties at the time, I didn't feel that comfortable like meeting up with some shady character to like give them cash and get Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Mount Gox was open at the time, but you had a wire to Japan. And so I actually worked in international wealth management at the time and knew a lot about accounts and wires and actually doing international wires. And the thing that got me about Mt. Gox was that you didn't actually wire it into your own account. You wired it into Mt. Gox's account and then you labeled it as your own. That to me was like there was something off there and I, I felt uncomfortable doing that. And I didn't want to pay like a hefty you know wire fee for this international wire to basically just send like, you know, 20 to 100 bucks abroad. Um, and so I just forgot about it. Um, and then a couple of years later, I met my now husband um, and all he could talk about was Bitcoin. Um, and so I looked at it again and became reinterested in it in 2013. And by then, actually, it was a much different landscape. Coinbase was open. There were a couple of other exchanges that you can also buy with. Uh, local Bitcoins was still a thing. Um, and from there, I mean, my interests only increased. I mean, we basically, my husband and I have now been uh, doing this for a decade together. Um, and we still talk about Bitcoin all the time together. <laughs> You'd think by now we'd get tired of it, but no, it's just, uh, it's like the onion you keep peeling. The next question is this, what's an insight or fact about Bitcoin that you wish everyone understood? So I wish that everyone understood really less, uh, it's less about Bitcoin and more about money. Um, money is not just something that you use to go buy coffee with or, you know, pay your mortgage or whatever. Money has aspects to it that are, are threefold and even more so, right? There's, there, there's the unit of account, medium of exchange, right? And store of value. And so in today's day and age, right? With fiat money, we don't have that store of value as, as something that we can actually use with our money. We have to then take our money and invest it. And so people don't often think of Bitcoin as savings, which is what it is because it's a money. They think of Bitcoin as an investment and something that you're taking your savings with and investing. And it's simply not that. And so there are just many different aspects of money that I, I think are just far from being understood. Um, definitely more well understood, I would say, within the Bitcoin community. And um, there's a lot of education around helping people understand what money is and why Bitcoin is a money and why you should think about it a little bit differently than, let's say, your fiat cash that you use. Um, but I would say that that's, that's like the crux of why we're all here and the key to why Bitcoin is going to be successful is that it is a money and that you can use it as, as not only a medium of exchange, a store of value, um, and a unit of account, but that... Um, that it has all these other aspects to it, like censorship resistance. Um, it is fungible. Um, it has, you know, it has it has a long history now, actually. It's not as long as, let's say, you know, the dollar or other currencies that are out there, but it does have a 15-year history now that um, you can't really compare that to some of the other currencies that are coming out. Um, it has... Um, 
instant payments, right? Uh, instant and free payments through the Lightning Network, which is not something that we, you know, that's something that's evolved in the Bitcoin network. So there's just so many little aspects to Bitcoin um, that help it be what I think is the superior money to anything else that's out there. Question number three is this. What's the Bitcoin resource you most recommend to other people? Um, so this is an old school resource and we use it quite a bit. My husband, um, Pierre Rochard and his um, his friend, Michael Goldstein, they started something called the Nakamoto Institute 10 years ago. Mm. And they have something on there called the mempool. So if you go to the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute's website, you can find their mempool. And what's cool about that is that they have articles going back to, I think, 2012 or 2013, um, that people have written about Bitcoin, about money, about the different aspects of Bitcoin. Um, and they're actually timeless. Um, everything that's ended up on there is something that even if it was written 10 years ago, it could be something that was written today, um, which I find really fascinating. Um, and there, I, I don't know how some of the more recent things that have been put on the website, I don't think that they have anything maybe past 2019 on there, but they're all classics. Um, and they're all things that if people want to learn about Bitcoin, that's a great place to start. Question number four, beyond Bitcoin, what is a resource, tool, or idea that's been helpful to you or your business recently? Well, I mean, I've been a business owner now for nine years. Um, I would say that good bookkeeping is going to be essential to a good business. Um, we, I happen to use QuickBooks for my business um, and have been using it for probably at least six or seven years now. Um, and I would say it's night and day what the original accounting was in my business versus what is going on there now. Um, originally, I literally gave my accountant a spreadsheet and he was like, what do I do with this? <laughs> so <Sure. laughs> um, I would say that getting good bookkeeping software for your business, whether it's QuickBooks or something else, is going to be essential to running a business. Um, and the reason why is this. It's not only just having the bookkeeping software, it's actually using the bookkeeping software. And we run through this with clients all the time where a client has a business and maybe they don't want to pay for a bookkeeper because their business isn't isn't there yet. And that's fine. You don't have to pay for a bookkeeper, but you do have to go in there on a monthly basis, right? And make sure that you're reconciling your books, you're checking your expenses, you're seeing how much your business is actually making a net profit. I think that often people, if they are not looking at it, at least on a monthly or quarterly basis, they're surprised. Um, so for instance, mm -hmm. I had just recently had a meeting with a client who had not done um, the books for the business in, you know, in over six months, um, basically since, like closed their books for 2020 um, and then never looked at it again, you know? And so now we're in August here and um, the business, the, basically the business owner has no idea where the business is or where the business stands and we're more than halfway through the year, right? And so I would say that that's a, the number one thing that's going to help your business um, is going to be making sure that you're not only staying up on your books, but you're using them as a tool. So if you're categorizing your expenses properly and then you can go to the reporting functionality of your software, you can see, okay, this is what my net profit is. This is how much money I'm spending in each category. Um, within those categories, you can take a percentage basis and see, okay, as a percentage of revenue, how much am I spending on advertising? How much am I spending on software? How much am I spending on all these things? Do I need to have these things in my business? Um, are, are the things that I'm spending money on in my business essential? I would say, yeah, that would be the number one tool that helps me in my, in my practice for sure. At, like from a business owner standpoint, not obviously like from delivering mm -hmm. the product that we sell, which is financial planning. And now we have our final, what we call our arbitrary but insightful question. And it's this, as a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? 
If you asked my son this, he would say, definitely ask why, because that's all he asks mm. all day is why, why, <laughs> why. And then usually what we get to is either the atomic level of things or God, because you either have to go very, very small or very, very big. Um, sure. <laughs> I would say it depends, right? I mean, there are certain, it depends for sure. I think I'm more of a why than a why not, though. If you're asking why, you're it, you're framing it from a more positive standpoint. Whereas if you're asking why not, it's mm-hmm. because like it's it's the more negative side of the question. I actually don't like the question why in general, though. I feel like why either why or why not ends up being more of an inquisition. Whereas if you're able to frame it more mm. as a what question, you can take any why question and turn it into a what. And I do this with my kids quite a bit so that they don't feel like I'm you know narrowing in on them. I do this also in my practice sure. with clients. Instead of asking them like, why'd you do that? You know, you could say, what made you want to purchase that? you know, (laughs) that car over, you know, this used car that maybe would be less expensive. Um, so if you can, if you can frame it a little bit better, and I think that that's why I would lean more on the why rather than the why not is because it's a little less, you know, inquisitive and heavy. Meet Linkster, your premier Bitcoin-focused advisor. Linkster caters to businesses, institutions, family offices, and high net worth individuals. They merge your unique financial goals and needs with Linkster's Bitcoin expertise to craft your own sustainable plan to preserve and grow the value of your hard-earned profits and retained earnings. At Linkster, it's not just advice, it's tailored execution. Connect directly with the founder by visiting Linkster.com. That's L-Y-N-C-S-T-E-R. Dot com Linkster. Secure your future with Bitcoin. Today's episode of Business Bitcoinization is proudly brought to you by Vellus Commerce, where the future of business technology meets Bitcoin. As we journey through the era of Bitcoin and its transformational impact on businesses, there's one name that stands out. Vellus Commerce. Whether you're looking to build a cutting-edge website, a seamless mobile app, or custom software, Vellus is your go-to team. They've been diving deep into the world of Bitcoin since 2014, making them one of the most experienced groups for integrating Bitcoin and Lightning payments into a variety of digital platforms. But here's what truly sets them apart. Vellus Commerce doesn't just build. They bring a wealth of knowledge to ensure your project's success from day one. Their team understands the nuances of Bitcoin, ensuring that your business stays ahead of the curve. And for all business Bitcoinization listeners out there, Vellus Commerce is offering a free consultation to kickstart your project the right way. So if you're ready to future-proof your business in the coming age of hyper-Bitcoinization, head over to VellusCommerce.com or reach out on Twitter at Vellus Commerce. Let's make sure your business thrives in the Bitcoin era. Perfect. Well, Morgan, we're here today to talk about uh, Bitcoin and financial planning. I'm excited to hear from you a little bit about Origin Wealth Advisors, your business. Maybe you could start off by sharing with us about that, and then we can get into some of the things that people, maybe business owners in particular, uh, can and should be thinking about when it comes to how Bitcoin fits into not only their business, but into their future. Yeah, definitely. So um, my practice, Origin Wealth Advisors, is now nine years old. I also run a financial consulting practice, which has been around for five years now. That's called Money Owners. Probably should have named it Bitcoin Owners, but I went with Money Owners instead. Um, And we provide financial planning now predominantly to Bitcoin families. So when my practice first Mm -hmm. opened, 
Um, I actually provided services to um, more of the fire crowd, financial independence, retire early, um, was looking for people who really wanted to, young professionals who wanted to retire early was kind of how I started. My business evolved, though, over time, I ended up be, um, offering more of, of trust beneficiary services, which is basically what you would call trust fund kids. Um, and so people who had inherited wealth and they wanted to be a steward of that wealth, they were coming to our practice. Um, that's actually going to be really good. It's a, it's a good marriage, I think, with what who's coming into my practice now, which is Bitcoiners. Um, because Bitcoiners, it's kind of like it's kind of like being a trust fund kid in a way. I mean, it's not, there's obviously a lot of psychological differences between like somebody who inherits wealth and somebody who builds wealth through Bitcoin. But there is that idea of sudden wealth. Um, it's the same concept, right? If you bought Bitcoin early on and then all of a sudden at 10x, 100x, et cetera, you gained wealth very quickly over a short period of time. Um, much like if, you know, somebody passes in your family and all of a sudden you get a pile of money or if in your in your parents' lifetime, if they had made a lot of money and they decide to set up all these irrevocable trusts and so forth that they then pass the money on. So I've actually seen a lot of parallels between those two crowds, which is interesting. And also dealing with the trust beneficiary crowd, um, it really, I think, puts a new light on um, on passing wealth as far as Bitcoin is concerned. So to sort of circle back to your question of why it's important, um, I see Bitcoin as long term savings and something that people can hold for a very, very long period of time and something that is easy to pass to the next generation. Um, it's not like a piece of land um, or, um, you know, like a private investment that is hard to pass. It's one of these things where it's very liquid. Um, you're able to literally hand over a hardware wallet to the next generation if you trust them and, and that's how you want to do it, right? I mean, there, mm-hmm. there are many ways where you could be a steward of wealth with this because it's long-term savings. It's a store of value. It has a cap of $21 million. There will never be more than that, right? And so, like, if we if Bitcoin becomes what we all think it's going to become, then I don't, you know, I see this as being a trillion-dollar asset class. Um, and so, in which case, we're passing, you know, trillions of dollars on to the next generation in an easy and in, in an easy manner. Um, and so, including something like Bitcoin in your plan is very important because if you have any aspirations for you know something 10 20 30 years out um bitcoin to me is is something that is key to that because it's the it's the perfect long-term asset. It's something where you can literally set it and forget it and not think about it. Um, you don't have to worry about counterparty risk if you're storing it properly. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen to that company or is it going to change management hands or are they going to change strategy or are they going to have a bad year, right? None of that affects Bitcoin. And so it's something where you can literally store money for a long period of time and be able to pass it to the next generation. Um, and so... As somebody who's worked with people who have been on the beneficiary side of receiving what the previous generation has given, right, and now working with people who are going to be passing it, I think it it, it gives me a lot of insight into how, let's say, trust documents and other things should be written um, and and decided for the next generation. That way, like, we don't end up in situations where... Bitcoiners steward all this wealth and then they pass it on to the next generation and they're not doing it properly. Right. And so there's I think that the really cool thing about Bitcoin and financial planning is that they kind of go hand in hand and they're they're married really well. Um, And it doesn't mean that financial planning goes away just because we have Bitcoin. What happens is that we have new financial planning issues that come up as a result of Bitcoin. So you've obviously led into a great question. What are some of those issues that come up whenever you begin to incorporate Bitcoin into your future, into your financial planning? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think it definitely depends on like how big your stack is, right? To start. Um, if you just are starting out and you're saving and you're trying to save for the future and you're you have a good emergency fund and everything in excess of that, you're able to put into something like Bitcoin or stocks for the long run. Um, then I would say that the planning issues that are going to come up for you related to Bitcoin are probably just going to be basic. And so mm-hmm. it's going to depend on which state you live. For most people, um, basically Bitcoin is a probate asset. And so um, the thing to be thinking about is actually the estate planning around that. Um, most states don't have a private probate process. So what does happen when somebody passes away is that um, there's a public docket. Uh, all the assets become public if they're just being read through a will. Um, and this is something that I think a lot of Bitcoiners aren't thinking about, but because, you know, most Bitcoiners are, are young and they're not worried about their demise and so forth. But, you know, we all are at some point going to die. That's that's the way the world works, right? And so <laughs> we have to plan for this now, um, in which case... Most Bitcoiners are private, right? They don't want all of their assets being, you know, publicly shown. They don't want the address at which it's stored to be shown. They don't want the number of Bitcoin that they've held that they've, you know, they've protected to all of a sudden be exposed. And so um, just having basic trust planning in place um, for at least the Bitcoin is going to prevent some of that. Um, I think it's going to depend also on, you know, if you've got a family and they're young kids and you're passing it on to the next generation, like what kind of trust you set up and so forth. But at the very least, most people probably do need a revocable living trust to store their Bitcoin in. Um, the state of Texas has a very private probate process. So for people living in Texas, that's actually not as big of a deal. Um, I don't know the rules in every single state. So I think it would be important for if you were living in a state and you weren't sure about the probate rules to be asking about that or finding out how the probate process works. That way you can learn out that's a risk you want to take with your Bitcoin. Um, in excess of that, right, when there are people who have you know large stashes of Bitcoin that go above and beyond um, the estate planning exemption. So um, right now we have really high estate planning exemptions in the United States. Uh, Trump had a tax law that came out in 2017 um, where basically he doubled the estate tax exemption. So what that means is that it went from $5 million to $10 million, then it was going to adjust with a cost of living adjustment with inflation. I think we're somewhere around $12 million now. It keeps adjusting every single year. Okay. Um, and so... Uh, a husband and wife could each pass $12 million basically to the next generation. So $24 million in one estate for, for a couple. Um, and so those are really, really high exemptions. They obviously used to be much lower and they're set to sunset in 2025. So if Congress and, and um, the House of Representatives don't want to do anything about it, and don't want to start a new tax law and so forth. Basically, in 2025, these limits will be cut down. So it'll probably go back to around six million or somewhere around there um, when it finally does sunset. And so um, for Bitcoiners right now, it would be if you do have a lot of like massive wealth, obviously, then it maybe would be a good time to be putting some of that in trust and taking uh, taking advantage of the exemption that we do have now. Um, but you know, the problem with putting money into trust is that you are removed from that money. So if that's money that you actually do need and want to use in the future, if you're putting it in something like an irrevocable trust for the purposes of estate tax planning, then you no longer have access to that money or you have to structure it in a way where you're going to be able to take some income from it, but not actually touch the main portion of those assets. So, um, 
there's a lot of trust planning and estate planning that can go into Bitcoin that people do need to be thinking about. Um, and unfortunately, I would say that for the majority of, of Bitcoiners, it's not something that's so commonly thought about. Um, I would say for most people, what they're thinking about is, okay, how do I just get some Bitcoin, right? Um, and how do I like mm-hmm. store it properly? And how do I keep adding to my stack? And that's all well and good. And I think people should be focused on that for sure. But once you're doing that, okay, there are other aspects of your financial plan that you now need to consider. I'm curious to know a little bit about what financial advisors, wealth advisors tend to think about Bitcoin from your experience. My guess is you're probably around more who are Bitcoin friendly than than most. But I'm asking this because I know of people who have gone to a financial planner, financial advisor about the possibility of buying Bitcoin or adding it to their portfolio or how it fits in their plan. And they've basically been told to stay as far away from it as possible. So have you seen changes across the last nine years? And if so, kind of where's the the state of play when it comes to how Bitcoin is viewed in your professional community? Yeah, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of us. Um, We started, so uh, Andy Flattery is a good colleague of mine. He runs his own firm. He started something called the Bitcoin Financial Advisors Network. Um, that's something that you can Google for. I can give you the link for you to put in the show notes. There's a handful of us. I think there's only six or seven of us on that website. Those are the only fee only financial planners that are out there that we know about at least that are offering Bitcoin only as a service. The problem I've seen over the last decade is that advisors have completely shunned the asset class or they've now started to dabble in altcoins, but they never stopped along the way to just be Bitcoin only. So there's a very you know small minority of us that are Bitcoin only. There's a vast majority of financial advisors out there that are, you know, crypto, anti-crypto in general. Um, and then there's another small minority, but they are doing it of advisors who are um, who are into not Bitcoin are into crypto. Being in Bitcoin for the last decade, if that's shown me anything, it's that altcoins come and go. They always come and go. That's what they do. The ones that were popular 10 years ago are not popular now. The ones that were popular five years ago are not popular now. Um, The ones that are popular today are not going to be popular in five years ago. That's five years from now. That's just the way that it is. And so I think that the longer that advisors are exposed to that, the more they are going to see that the next shiny thing, um, you know, the orb that you're looking to into at WorldCoin is not going to be the future of um, of money. It's just not. Um, and if anything, what they're going to see is that these are going to be small applications that, that, a, that a small minority of people will want to use. There's always going to be that, right? It's like the app store. When you go to the app store, um, and, you know, on your Android or your iPhone, there's millions of apps on there, right? It doesn't mean, though, that just because that app exists, that a lot of people are going to use it. Um, you know, there's the same five apps that everybody uses on their phone, right? (laughs) That's just the way it is. It's going to be the same thing with money. And I don't think that it's even that there's going to be a handful of five that people use with money. There's going to be one. Um, and that's Bitcoin. And so for me, like what I see happening in the space is that advisors are going to be exposed to this. They're going to unfortunately have to learn the hard way and eventually they will get there. That's my, at least my optimistic hope. And what would you recommend to someone listening to this podcast right now who wants to talk to someone who is their financial advisor are there any resources that you would recommend them take advantage of uh, or or recommend to their financial advisor to get that financial advisor more on the right track when it comes to incorporating Bitcoin into their business? Any products or or educational resources that you'd recommend? 
Yeah. So Andy Edstrom, um, who is also a financial advisor, um, he now works at Swan running up their financial advisory product, uh, which is a Bitcoin only basically separately managed account that advisors can use for their clients. Um, He wrote a book, though, called Why Buy Bitcoin? Um, And the reason why I like that book is, A, it's just it's a good book. And B, it's written by um, somebody with a CFA charter and a CFP. Um, who is, I mean, he's smart as a whip and he's a good writer and he knows a lot about Bitcoin. And so like he has the credentials, right? If you're going to give a book to your financial advisor where they could see, oh, this is a highly credentialed person who wrote a book about Bitcoin. Um, And it's just a good book about Bitcoin. So like, you know, on both fronts, you're handing them something that would be worthwhile. Um, I think though, honestly, it's not really the right route, right? Like people it's really hard to orange pill people. The way that people get into Bitcoin is they have an open mind about it. They've been exposed to it maybe a few times in one way or another. And then, you know, their mind is open to the concept and then they hear it from somebody that they trust or they read something that they trust. And then they decide that, okay, actually, yeah, this is something that is worthwhile looking into. If you're going to your financial advisor who is very closed minded about Bitcoin, it doesn't matter what resources you give him, right? You can give him all this advisor, all three Mm -hmm. of Save a Deanomis's books, right? It's not going to land because the mind's not open. And so I think that like sometimes we just need to be aware and be a little more like in queue socially with what is happening with the person on the other side of that table who we're trying to convince. If that person is closed minded, then it's just not going to happen. And maybe that's not the right advisor for that client. If the if the advisor, though, is open minded, then, yes, I would say that that would be the route to go down. It sounds like your Austrian economics background or perspective or leanings helped you to grasp Bitcoin early on. Have you found that to be the case for other financial advisors you've talked to, or has it been some other mechanism by which they've kind of entered into the space? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, having a good understanding of Austrian economics is definitely how a lot of people got into this um, and definitely how early folks got into it, because it's something Mm -hmm. that you, if you were interested in Austrian economics, once you were exposed to Bitcoin, it made sense. Um, for the vast majority of folks though, right, it's not something that is taught in schools. So Keynesian economics is basically the only thing that I learned when I was in both high school and college. Um, Austrian economics was something that was introduced to me, um, by actually by my dad inadvertently. Um, he was a Ron Paul fan. Um, and because my dad was a Ron Paul fan, I researched Ron Paul and then found out about Austrian economics and then started reading Austrian economics. Right. And so mm-hmm. like you kind of have to have, you have to have a way in there's not, and it's like that for anything. Right. I mean, something so basic as let's say diet and exercise, right. You can't just throw a new diet and exercise plan on somebody who's never done anything with either one of those things before. You don't give somebody, you know, deadlifts if they've never lifted a weight before, right. Sure. You teach, you show them what a weight is. You show them how it works. Um, you don't put somebody on, you know, a, a road bike um, for their first time, you know, and tell them to go ride 70 miles with a bunch of people who are who are doing that all the time, you know, on a, on a highway that's crowded, right? You just can't do stuff like that to people. So I, I think it's just like, we have this unrealistic expectation, really, of people that, oh, well, they'll learn about Bitcoin because and because it's so fantastic and amazing, they'll immediately get it and they're going to want Bitcoin. And that's just that's not how the mind works. And and so people need to be introduced in a way that makes sense to them. And so what I've noticed, actually, with the financial advisors, uh, because they're not really that into Austrian economics, is really more the staying power of Bitcoin. Mm. Um, And that's something that comes from just us seeing investments for long periods of time. And so if we're approaching long term investing as something like, okay, 
okay, what, what sticks, what works, what has the most evidence behind it for clients. And that way we can put clients in proper portfolios, right? If Bitcoin has staying power, which it has had over the last 15 years, um, if every time that it goes up, you know, astronomically, when it comes back down, it doesn't go to zero. Um, and in fact, it doesn't, not only doesn't go to zero, right, but it doesn't necessarily go even lower than the previous high. So, um, I think that that's pulled a lot of advisors in because they see, Hey, this, this is not going away. Like this has some staying power here. What's here. What's the evidence behind this? Um, and so that I've seen work for sure for financial advisors, because that's just something that we do in general, right? We're constantly looking at asset classes and deciding whether or not that's something that's appropriate for a client's portfolio. So I would love for you to share with people where they can go to find out more about your work. But maybe before that, if you have any final thoughts for listeners about, once again, how Bitcoin can fit into their overall financial plan, or maybe things, since a lot of a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably already going to be Bitcoiners, they don't need to be convinced, maybe uh, just words of caution that you might have for them and then share with us where they can go to find out more about your work. Yeah, for sure. So the number one thing I always tell people is that Bitcoin is long-term savings. It's not just savings. If you think of Bitcoin as savings and not long-term savings, what happens is that you'll save in Bitcoin and then you'll go try to buy a house or do something else in the next one to three years and Bitcoin could potentially be lower than it is today. And so it's actually a poor short-term savings vehicle because it's so volatile. Um, in the future, hopefully, in the world that we all want to live in, in this Bitcoin world where Bitcoin is actually our unit of account, maybe we'll have more volatile pricing of how things things work, but right, but your unit of account will maintain the same. And so you'll, there'll be a different way of thinking about how we use Bitcoin in the future. But for now, we wouldn't want to use Bitcoin as something that was that we wanted to use in, let's say the next one to three years. Um, I would say even longer than that. But that's the thing that most Bitcoiners get wrong. Um, you need to have a fiat emergency fund. I'm sorry, that's just the way that it is. Um, I get a lot of flack yeah. on that about Twitter all the time. People don't think that they should have any dollars. And that's just simply not the case. We've seen that in my practice time and time again, when people are over allocated to Bitcoin, what happens is that we have to sell that Bitcoin. Um, and for a lot of people, they were doing that in January to go pay their tax bill from 2022. And so if in January of 2023, you're selling your Bitcoin at 16K, right? Because you over allocated to Bitcoin, and you bought it at a higher price, yeah, you get to take a tax loss. But like, the tax loss is not the, it's it's not as good, right? It's it's good to take a tax loss if you have a tax loss to take, but it's not what you're aiming for. You're not trying to like buy mm -hmm. Bitcoin so you could take a tax loss, right? You're trying to buy Bitcoin because you want to use this as long-term savings. So I would say that that's the number one thing is you have to match your assets with your liabilities. That's my best hope for Bitcoiners is that we don't throw all financial planning tools out the window, right? A lot of them do go away with like definancialization, um, but they don't completely go away. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do have a good emergency fund and be using Bitcoin as long-term savings, which is what it is. And where can people go to find out more about your work and just kind of get a better understanding of how Bitcoin could fit into their future plans? Yeah, so um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Morgan with an E Rochard. My financial planning practice is originwa.com. That's Origin Wealth Advisors. I have my financial consulting practice, which is moneyowners.com. I did write a book on personal finance. It's not a Bitcoin personal finance book, but it is a personal finance book. That's called the Personal Finance Quick Start Guide. You can find that on Amazon. And I am currently working on a Bitcoin personal finance book. So if you'd like more information about that, you can go to bitcoinpersonalfinancebook.com. Perfect. Well, Morgan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Thanks, Josh. Well, friends, it's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Business Bitcoinization Show. If you want to reach out to either me or Morgan, you can find those links down in the show notes. And I encourage you to keep up with Morgan's work as you consider how Bitcoin fits into your wealth plan. As always, keep building, keep growing. And until next time, keep living and leading well.
If you're a regular listener of the podcast, thank you. If you want to take a further step in your support for the show, you can help us grow by listening on Fountain, a value-for-value podcast app on iOS or Android. If you hear something you like that you disagree with or anything else, you can share it by sending some sats and adding a comment with your thoughts. Some of you have already done this, and I appreciate it. I'm going to begin reading your boosts on upcoming episodes, so if you have some insight or value to add, let the people know. Getting started with Fountain is easy. You can add Bitcoin to your Fountain wallet by using your fiat accounts or any Lightning Wallet. And one of my favorite features is that once you're using the app, you can earn stats just by listening on Fountain. Check out the link in the show notes to get started with Fountain today.